Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. These guys are brave. They're Hawkeyes living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their prime, but they're still Hawkeyes. They're spreading the Hawkeye height to all of Nebraska. The Frost Advisory is canceled. Corn Huskers, more like corn suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go Hawks! All right, welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. We are lucky enough to be joined by Iowa Hawkeye legend, former Detroit Lion, and current head coach at Clear Lake, Mr. Jared DeVries. How's it going? It's going fantastic. Thanks for having me on today. No, we're excited to have you. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule coaching and you know raising a family and everything else you got going on to sit here and catch – um, everyone up uh, in Hawkeye Nation on what you're up to. Um, tell us a, a what you're up to now, um, where you're living, and and what you're doing for work. Because like we said before, you um, are are in the coaching field now. Yeah, so our family's settled down here in Clear Lake. Um, been been here since 2010, Clear Lake, Iowa. That is, um, and uh, been the head football coach. Been volunteering since 2011. Been the head coach for the last six years. So. Um, that takes up a great deal uh, of our time. Um, two boys, uh, Jalen and Easton. Uh, Jalen is going to school at Southern Illinois University, and Easton it will be a senior. So Jamie and I will be uh, empty nesters after after next year. Um, so yeah, and uh, as, as far as what what we're what we're doing, um, coaching is a lot. Um, we own and operate. Uh, Brothers Market in the state of Iowa, Missouri, Kansas. Um, so I have 15 of those stores that uh, I attend to, and then uh, I also farm. So um, a lot going on, but uh, it, it's fun. I don't think you probably have a spare second left in the day. Like I'm lucky we didn't get you during like harvest or planting because you're probably going at it like a madman there with farming, running all those stores and coaching. Uh, you got to have a pretty cool wife and she's got to be pretty understanding because it sounds like now you're as busy as ever. Yeah, no, I'm actually more busy now that I'm uh, that I'm out of playing football. I, I uh, say, man, I wish I could go back. My day would be a lot easier. Um, but, yeah, uh, Jamie's uh, very supportive. Um, she, uh, you know, she just takes care of everything, allows me to do what, what needs to be done. That's awesome. Uh, you you got to have a really supportive spouse. Just being in coaching at all during football season you're not very accessible because you're watching film you're at practice you're at the weight room i mean you're doing everything you're never around i grew up with you know my dad was a high school football coach and i remember towards the end of every football season she'd be getting a little snippety at him and a little frustrated because he wasn't home you know he was he was out coaching his team and you know honing his craft and trying to become a better coach yeah especially it, it does take up a lot of your time um 
a lot of it is probably my own doing. I'm a little excessive. Um, so I, I, I tend to watch more film than, uh, you know, I probably absolutely need to, but uh, I always want to try to get a leg up on, on the opponents. So, uh, yeah, it uh, it's a, it takes a lot of time, but it's very rewarding and, and fun as well. So, uh, all great coaches are like that because you love the game, and it's not work when you're doing it. You enjoy it. It's interesting the different schemes and everything that you get to watch. It's you get sucked in, and you know you know as well as anybody. You know you're sitting there watching. The next thing you know, a couple hours have gone by, and you're like, crap. All right, I got some other stuff I got to do. I'm getting pulled into this film. And it's, it's addicting. So, yeah, but all, cool. all, all great coaches. That's, that's how it goes. My wife says the lawn gets uh, neglected when, when football seasons. <laughs> that's true. I'm sure like, yeah, I'm, I'd, I'd like to see like, um, you know, football coaches lawns from like, you know, preseason to like the regular season. Cause like <laughs> you, you gotta like have the guys come over like on a team on Sundays and it's like coach yard day, have them come over and mow and like weed eat and water your plants and stuff like that. It's like kind of like karate kid. They're gonna be like, coach, what does this have to do with football? No right. guys, this is part of the developmental process. This is teaching discipline and responsibility. I don't know if we could swing that into it. I'm I, I, I've got some pretty smart coaches and <laughs> so it might be on to us. All right, it'd be worth a shot, though. So I don't know. Um, we want to go back to the to the beginning. When with you coming out of high school, um, a very helded high school recruit uh, had a really great high school career. Uh, tell us about your recruiting process. What schools were really giving you a hard look, and you were strongly considering? And what was it about the University of Iowa that made you decide to be a Hawkeye? You know. I, I, you know, you could say I was heavily recruited, but really I didn't feel like I was at the time. Okay. Um, you know, recruiting has changed so much with social media and, and all. Um, you know, it used to be like a, a phone call on a landline, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, there wasn't all the, the Twitter and all that stuff. But, uh, um, you know, really it was the Midwest schools. Um, Iowa being obviously the number one, um, Nebraska and Wisconsin. Um, some of the other schools, you know, would send letters. Um, that was another form of communication. Um, but really, um, really, it was just Iowa. Um, I think everybody knew once they gave me the offer, you know, I was like, well, he's going there anyway. So, you know, Iowa State didn't even bother recruiting me um, because Iowa was. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, really was excited and honored uh, to, to get that offer from Iowa. And really, that's the only team I considered. You uh, really had a blessing, and this obviously must have shaped you as a coach, to play under a couple different legendary coaches, uh, notably, um, you know, Coach Hayden Fry and Ed Thomas, and I'm sure many others that, you know, don't get discussed quite as much. But specifically, Coach Thomas and Fry, how did those two coaches shape you as a player and the coach that you are today? Well, it started with Coach Thomas. You know, that's where it all started. Really, I, I wouldn't have gotten a probably wouldn't have gotten a chance to play at the university if it wasn't for him. Um, we didn't re, re or we didn't uh, form a relationship really till my junior year because our schools weren't consolidated yet. Okay, um, but before even I was an athlete of his, um, when we were playing against rival schools, Applington versus Parkersburg is as opposed to being Appling to Parkersburg, he sent my film into Iowa um, and he wasn't even my coach. Um, wow. Yeah, 
And um, that, that really tells you what type of person he is um, and uh, as an about. But he really established the, the things in me that I think got me to uh, the University of Iowa and that being, you know, a strong work ethic. He re really reinforced what my parents instilled in me. Um, and just to play with, you know, a passion and, and, and play with heart. And, you know, that really just, you know, you know, molded to what I became as a player. And then obviously playing under coach Fry, he continued to just do the same. Um, but really his coach Fry's assistants were more involved in, in, in develop, you know, in developing the players. So, um, yeah. I don't know that I've ever heard a story of a coach that from an opposing team that wasn't even your coach yet sending film like that to a, a university to get them seen. I mean, that really tells a tale about what type of man he was and, you know, what was important to him, because clearly to him, it's not all about just his team winning. He's trying to do the right thing for, for kids coming up through school and through football. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, that's a, a heck of a, a, you know, a statement to go out and do that. You know, I, being a head coach myself now, I, I know that I've, I've, I've reached out to schools, um, you know, hey, you got to give this guy a look because, um, you know, he's from a smaller school. I, I didn't feel like, you know, but, um, you know, that's 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 pretty outstanding. What point of your career or any time did you realize that you wanted to get into coaching and what do you feel like most influenced you to do so? Um, well, I, at, at first I said, no way, no way, no way. And uh, a quick story, Don Clemens, uh, longtime assistant coach uh, for the Detroit Lions. You know, we're, we're, we're on, a, on a bus trip getting ready to board a plane. And he's like, Jared, I guarantee you, you're going to be a coach someday. No, no, no. When I'm done playing, I'm done. He goes, mark my words. And it's funny. I, I visited him here in, in the past years. And he goes, I told you so. I told you so. I don't know what he saw that, you know, what he saw that, like, knew I was going to be a coach. But uh, it was something. I don't know. It's the way I prepared. Uh, I didn't know it was if it was how I conducted myself in the meetings. But but he knew. And uh, and he was right. And, and I'm glad he was right because I, I really enjoy coaching. Um, and just being involved with the kids. Generally, those guys tend tend to stand out in meetings and you know mini camps and stuff like that because they tend to be the guys that are you know like from what you've seen working with the younger players, helping teach, and pretty much an extension of the coaching staff. Would you say you, you kind of fit that role? Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right when you when you when you say that extension of the coaching staff. You know, I was getting up in years, so. Um, I, I kind of, you know, that they knew me there at, at uh, you know, at Detroit and um, the coaches all had been with me, him being the longest, although we changed head coaches like every other year, he always stuck around mm -hmm. um, and, and changed maybe, you know, roles with inside the organization. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's, and that's part of probably the longevity I was able to have is because coaches could trust me. I was the extension of the coaching staff, and um, as we brought in one of the players, they just I, – I think they, they saw that. So the guys, everyone that's listening on just the podcast right now, they're going to have to use their imagination here. But 
Looks like you're in kind of a sweet man cave there. You got some trophies and some footballs on the wall. It looks pretty sweet. Can you just, I, I know you can't go over all of them, but um, maybe, you know, tell us about some of the cool hardware you have up on the wall there. Well, the, the one in the middle there is the uh, MVP of the Alamo Bowl. Uh, it's just a replication of, of the actual trophy that we got as a team. Um, I think down in the corner, is is a uh, a symbol MVP and and some of the other ones are are just team MVPs and and different things and a couple of them are actually still at the university. Obviously, you're see, I'm missing the Hawkeye helmet. It usually is right up there beside my Detroit helmet. Um, yeah, so I just collect uh, different things around the room. You can see um, Lawrence Taylor and Buckus over there and Joe Namath, Marcus Allen, just. Some memorabilia stuff that uh, my, my wife allows me to hang up here. So typically during football season with you coaching, do, are you able to take time on Saturdays to make it over to Kinnick or be able to like, you know, sit down in your man cave and relax and have a beer and watch the Hawkeyes play? Yeah, it uh, obviously didn't happen this year, but I, I since I've been back, I haven't missed maybe one home game. Okay. Um, so here at Clear Lake, we, we, we give the staff off on Saturdays, allow them to, you know, be with family or, or go to a game. Uh, we right. think that's important. Um, obviously, with with what happened this year and the pandemic, excuse me, um, and, and my son going to Southern Illinois where he, you know, he would have been playing in the in the fall. So they had a spring season. Um, so that's going to be challenging this this year. Um after the game, uh, I'm going to head out uh, to go to Carbondale or wherever he's playing and then be back for Sunday meetings. So okay. it, it'll, be a, it'll be a challenge, um, but we have a great staff and, and they were all fine with it. Um, they have a few more responsibilities uh, being that I'm, I'm gone for a day. So um should be interesting. How weird was it with the spring football? I mean, there was a lot of, of debate going on that it might be best for that level of football to have a spring season every year because they get all that exposure. But then the other side of the coin is they're not getting to play against those big time schools. And that's a big check that those programs, you know, get a lot of their funding from um, throughout the year. Uh, what were your thoughts on that whole spring versus fall football season? Well, it was great for the kids <laughs> to be able to participate um, in that spring season, um, for them not to have a season, that would have been just horrendous for them and, the, and their college experience. It's going to create some challenges, in my opinion, because um, you got to think that there's guys that got nicked up, you know, and have a no a shoulder or a knee scope. But you got to you got to realize their season just got over, and now you know if yeah. you're going to have have a cleanup or a surgery or procedure. You know, you usually talk about 10, 12 weeks. Well, that that puts them right up against the next season, the fall season. So that's going to be a great challenge. Obviously, it was a great reward uh, for those those young men to have a season. Um, but it's, it's going to create some challenges this fall, I'm afraid. Um, and, and that's a lot of, of wear on the body in, in a year's time. So I, I really want you to think back here. The, during your NFL draft process, going uh, in the third round to the Detroit Lions, walk us through what that day was like. Uh, were you nervous? Were you just excited uh, when you got that phone call and how excited you were? 
Um, for me personally, it, it was a tough, it was a tough experience. It was a great experience, but it was a tough experience. You know, I, I was a highly uh, rated junior. Um, I didn't perform well at, 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 in, in the 40, essentially at, um, at the combine, which, you know, made me uh, slide in the draft. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking you're going in the first round and then round two goes and then round three goes. And it's like, Oh, so it, it was a little bit uh, gut wrenching, uh, humbling. Um, but then to get that call from Detroit was obviously uh, a huge relief and so thankful for the opportunity. And really looking back on it, I, I wouldn't have changed where I got drafted or who I got drafted by because our, our experience in Detroit was, was absolutely phenomenal. Great friends, great organization. Um, just very thankful. All right. Now you seem like you're an extremely level-headed guy, coach, uh, but we want a non-level-headed answer here. When you first started to get make some you know, solid NFL money, what was the first big purchase that you made? And then what was the dumbest thing that you look back on now and you're like, I can't believe I bought something like that. I was a dumb kid. Because the they, they all do it. Yeah. The first big purchase I made was a, a farm. Nice. But I'm glad I did. <laughs> I wish I would have listened to my dad and bought all kinds of it. Um, uh, what was it? What was some of the other, what was the other question you asked? Maybe like the uh, uh, the most irresponsible kind of dumb thing that you're like, oh geez, like I look back, you look back as an adult now and as a father, and you're like, I wish somebody would have like told me not to do that. But you know, every guy that when they sign their first contract, or maybe it goes into their second that they make that one big, you know, bigger purchase that, you know, is kind of frivolous. Yeah. To be honest, you know, I, I, I've always respected that, you know, I, I felt like I've respected the, the value of money and, and that. So to, to be honest with you, I, I've, I don't really say that I have one um, to be, you know, just to be honest, I, I've always tried to live within, within ourselves and, and make good decisions. So, there's not one of them I think that I would regret. Can't so I, I can't give you an unlevel-headed answer. All the all these Iowa guys, like everybody that we've interviewed, this played at Iowa. Like, what was the, we ask that question every time, and like everyone is so grounded and responsible. It's like I haven't heard one ridiculous thing, and then you hear stuff from like all these other schools where it's like they buy like you know a Ferrari. I remember Trey Strauss told us that they hadn't even officially made the team yet and they didn't know where they were going to be. And a guy uh, for the Texans bought a red Camaro and a Navy Camaro, both two different ones that he was going to alternate driving to the practice facility every day. And so I'm like, Trey, what did you drive? And he's like, I rode my bike. Like I had a bicycle that I rode every day. And he's like, I stayed in the team hotel until they kicked us out because it was free. And I'm like, geez, it's just the, the, the responses from, you know, the former yeah. Hawkeyes is way different than most other guys. Well, as far as I can uh, remember, I have driven a, a F-350 Ford for ever now. And I do occasionally get a new one, but it's always the same color and an F-350. So you got you to stick with what you know. Right. Even though, you know, even though Chevy trucks are a little bit better. 
Well, you know the well, obviously you know the Lions are owned by the Forge, right? That's true. You got to stay loyal to the brand. I totally get that. Yeah, and I felt really good when uh, Mr. Ford would pull up and park, you know, somewhat close to me, and he saw me getting out of a Ford, especially when his his stamp is on on my check every Monday. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I honestly, I'm not r- r- brand loyal. I mean, I have a Dodge and a Chevy and, and when we just had a Ford. So we've had a little bit of everything. We always try to buy American. I'd say that's the only thing. But, um, speaking back to your comment with the ownership, not too many NFL players can say that they play for the same organization from the start till the end. You were able to do that. Um, tell us how much that meant to you and, um, how much that meant to have a, a commitment from an organization where there's not really loyalty really in that league at all anymore. And there never really has been a ton, but to be able to stick with one team like you did is pretty rare. It is extremely rare. Um, I'm, I'm extremely thankful, but if you, it, you look back on it uh, to make, it's even more rare because we changed head coaches seven times. That's true. And usually when that happens, the roster turns over because they know players. And there's a statistic. I don't know if the roster turns over by 65% every time a head coach comes in. So that happened seven times in in 12 years. Um, And we also changed management um, a a few times. So for me to be able to stick with Detroit – was obviously a blessing um, and uh, very thankful for the Ford family, all the coaches and all the, all the, all the management, you know, that I was able to um, really Matt, Matt Millen, um, you know, he didn't have the greatest success, but he obviously believed uh, in me and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And um, we still talk to this day. Um, so yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Matt Millen's a class act. Anybody that's seen him, uh, you know, handle himself and operate, he's just a classy, well-spoken, down-to-earth guy. So it, it just sometimes things just don't come together. And yeah, he'd be the first to admit that he he did you know didn't do a, a great job. Um, but that doesn't mean he isn't a wonderful person. Exactly. Um, doesn't mean he isn't. You know, sometimes you, you can be good at your job and just not have the success in in the numbers, which obviously the NFL is all about. So, and sometimes it's the landscape. Sometimes, you know, you can take a guy that's not successful in one place and he gets an opportunity somewhere else and it can be completely different. So there's so many things at play that, you know, players, fans, you know, everyone else just don't know about. And so it's definitely not anything that, you know, any of us can judge because there's too many things that, that go on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Now on the opposite end of that, Front and center, you got the, that Detroit Lion fan base who's pretty well known for being extremely loyal and vocal for their Lions, and then you got that Iowa Hawkeye fan base who, yeah, very arguably might be one of the best, if not the best, fan base in college football. Tell us what it was like to play in front of both of those great fan bases, and what differences or similarities those two fan bases have. Well, you know, let's start with Iowa. You, you're exactly. Uh correct on that that's one of the best fan bases if not the best fan base in all of college football um you know that they're supportive through thick and thin um they show up uh every every week whether it's home or on, on the road i mean 
it's just remarkable uh, the support that that they give all uh, Iowa athletics. It's it's unbelievable. And then you basically have that same thing, but a little bit more. I don't know if it's opinionated or or voiceful um, when it's a little bit more negative, uh, mm-hmm. because unfortunately, um, you know, Detroit hasn't experienced a lot of success and um, you know, they'll let you know, but they're, they're some of the loudest fans when, when it's going good. I mean, we had, had that silver dome rock in the floor, which they can, um, it, it's a, a very dedicated fan base for sure. Well, they got some changes that are coming through right now. And um, Coach Dan Campbell's taken over, and he's already earned the nickname Motor City Dan Campbell. He's a pretty wild, outspoken guy. And I think the city of Detroit and just NFL fans in general are pretty excited about him taking over. Uh, what do you know about Coach Campbell, if anything? And um, what type of changes do you see him making to make the Lions more successful going forward? Well, um, I know a lot about Dan Campbell because I played with him. Um, uh, we lived in the same neighborhood. So every Monday night, our families would get together because Tuesday was our day off. Okay. Um, so every Monday night of the season, uh, our families would get together and have supper. And then when the kids went to bed, I can tell you a lot of things that, that couldn't be said on the air. But uh, <laughs> um, we always like to have a good time. Let's hear him. Let's hear him, Jared. Come on. <laughs> uh, we always like to have a good time. They always told me that I was uh, getting old because I always wanted to end, end the night early. So the one night they actually turned the clocks back, all the clocks back in house so they could stay out an hour later. But uh, <laughs> he's got he, he's got high energy. He's, he, he is about hard work. He's going to have a tough football team. I can tell you that. Um, and uh, I, I know for a fact that the players will play for him um, because that's, that's what type of player he was. And um, I'm assuming that, that he's that way in, in his coaching um, profession as well. He's been around a lot of good ones, you know, um, obviously Sean Payton uh, Parcells, I know had an influence on him when he was in uh, Dallas. So he's been around a lot of great coaches. I'm sure he he's picked up a lot. He's got a lot uh, a lot to bring to that profession, that organization. And and he kind of fits the mold of, of the Detroit, you know, fan, that hard-nosed, mm-hmm. uh, get-after-you type uh, personality. God, I, I hope he does well. I, I, I really do. I hope he stays there because, man, his press conferences are fun. <laughs> he, he gives you a lot of material. He does. He's awesome. So, all right, let's get into the scenario here. You're just hanging out at home. It's a nice, relaxing evening with the family. The phone rings. It's Motor City Dan Campbell. He's like, Jared, I'm calling your name. I need you in Detroit, man. I need you part of the staff. Let's get the band back together. What, how are you going to say no to that guy? I probably wouldn't um, get past this year. Um, the only way I would say no is if it affected you know our family in, in a negative mm-hmm. way. But uh, um yeah, that that'd be a good that'd be a good reunion. Oh man, I'd love that. I'd I'd have to, you know, I, I'm not a diehard NFL fan. I, you know, just like most Hawk fans, I I flip around on Sundays to watch the former Hawkeyes play and see as many of them as possible. But I may have to be a Detroit Lions fan if that happens. That would seal the deal for me. I think. 
Well, the next time I call him, I'm I'm going to call him Motor City Dan Dan Campbell. So do it. I think for sure stuck. It's either that or MCDC. They have like you know those all that old ACDC logo. They're making MCDC shirts now, and the guy's already a legend. So you know. Well, anytime you talk about biting kneecaps on uh, your your introductory press conference, you're making a name for yourself. So uh, I, I loved it. Um, you know, like I said, he, he's going to bring some toughness. Uh, yeah. yeah. So people are just people are kind of just tired of the the overly politically correct responses that like a a speech writer wrote something for him it's the guys that are genuine and a little raw and you know it's coming from the heart even if it's a little wild people love it because they want to see who they they truly are and that's why the city detroit as you know 100 percent behind him because the guy is genuine he's awesome he's full of energy and so it's, yeah. we're going to be rooting for him, as I'm sure you will, too. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you, too, about a time uh, when you were at Iowa. Um, this is um, a materialistic question, one that I'm sure you probably don't care much about. But you were at Iowa during a time, a rare time where there were some uniform changes. Um, over all the years of watching Iowa football and then when you played, too, what, what's your favorite all-time Hawkeye uniform? The one they have now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love, we, uh, I love their, their black, uh, out, um, oh, the one at Ohio state. Yeah, I think or it was versus we, Ohio state. Yeah. When we put a beat down on Ohio state was, it was pretty much just all blacked out. Right. With just the yellow, uh, swoosh. We actually, uh, copied or mimicked that a little bit. We were up for, for new black, uh, uniforms this year. So uh, I just, Googled all the Iowa great uniforms and pretty much just copied that one. So that that's well, awesome. Clear Lake Lions will look very similar to what the Hawkeyes look out like in there. I, I think that's ninety percent of everybody says that same exact thing. The the yellow ones with the you know the feathers on them that that kind of were supposed to replicate those late nineties ones. I think the design was cool, but the all yellow to me was just a little too much. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the feathers Coach Fry gave us in, in was it, 95 or 96? Yep. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> he was so proud of those uniforms. Man, I'm like, can we go back to the old old school ways? You know, but. Uh, <laughs> those yeah. were before their time, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. they oh, The kids would love them probably now. But, uh, yeah, I, I was kind of like more, you know, the tradition. Um that mimic the Steelers. And, and obviously um, I, I like that a lot. I remember the morning that the Des Moines register published the, what those uniforms were going to look like. And I mean, that's how they released that information back then. There was no social media hype videos. And I remember hearing my dad out in the living room saying, what in the hell? And I'm like, what, what, what's going on? I'm getting ready to go to school. And he's like, look at this garbage. And he, he's like, that's what they're going to wear this year. And I'm like, I think I was in probably sixth or seventh grade. And I was like, man, those are kind of cool. Like, you know, as a kid, I'm like, those are different. Those are cool. But my dad was like, those are garbage. Like, those are ridiculous. And yeah. Now that now they're legendary, kind of. Yeah. I thought that we were like, the, the, I, I quoted this or Ben quoted saying that we look like a Canadian football team, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or Arena League. You know, yeah, something or, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Something similar to that. So I don't know. We'll see what they pull out the, out of their hat the next time. I what I hear is they're gonna 
just re re re-release those like every couple of years and wear those exact same ones. So we may not have seen the last of the, the all banana colored gold uniforms. Okay. Um, As long as they win the game, right? That's all I really care about. It's kind of cool to see them, you know, bust something out from time to time, but yeah, at the end of the day, we just want a victory. Uh, What did I talk to you a little bit about your brother and uh, his coaching career and the success that he's had? Uh, how cool was it, especially this last year, you know, watching him be able to win his first NCAA tournament game and, you know, what it was like um, all of those years. He was at Creighton for a really, really long time. What kind of patience it took for him to really sit, wait his turn and how selective he was, because he probably could have taken a lot of other jobs over that time. And from what I hear, he really wanted that Drake job. That was a job he could see himself in. What's it been like for your guys' family to see his success? It's been unbelievable. Um, really, it, what he's been able to do at Drake is just unbelievable. I mean, it's it's record-setting. Um, just the record itself speaks for itself. Um, it, it's been awesome for our family. Um, there's always somebody in the stands. I mean, rarely do you not have 50 DeVries there. Um and we got to get more fans in the stands. Um, and, uh, and I think there would have been this year, um, you know, had they had, didn't, you know, limit the, the amount of fans, but uh, just been remarkable to watch. And, and yes, you are correct. He wanted that Drake job bad. Um, he obviously um, learned under some great ones um, in McDermott and Dana Altman, who's now in Oregon. So um for sure, they both influenced his coaching career. But, uh, um, yeah, I was just really, really proud of them. It, it, it almost brings a tear to my eye because uh, just to see the amount of success that, that he's having and, and what he's building there at Drake is, is <clears throat> awesome. He was the perfect hire and for a lot of reasons. But the one that most people don't talk about is any time a coach has had success at Drake, they move on. And I think that's been the problem with those Drake basketball fans is there's not been a lot of trust there because it's like they have a good season and then they start to get nervous. They're like, oh, our coach is going to leave. You know, he's not going to stick around. So hoping that coach sticks around at Drake, builds something there because he, he's shown he's not one of those coaches that's just going to hop around. Like He sticks it out and he's a loyal guy. And, he, you know, everyone's just really hoping because I'm I'm from the Des Moines area. I'm from Des Moines. So I know growing up, people are hungry for Drake basketball to do well. You got that whole Des Moines community that would get behind him and go to those games and pack the nap center. That's a beautiful gym. You know, it's not huge, but there's not a bad seat in that house whatsoever. That's a great place to watch a basketball game. So I know myself and a lot of other people are just really hoping that he ends up being the long-term coach there because he could really build something special there. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. You know, he played in the Valley. Um, he coached in the Valley before Creighton jumped to the Big East. Um, so he, he knows that league. Uh, he obviously is, you know, he knows that area, um, you know, and uh, you're exactly right. Um, you know, he, he applied for that job three times. Um, I knew about twice. I didn't know three. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that it, it was, th- it was three times and finally getting on his third try. Um, mm. He obviously, uh, you know, saw something in, in Drake and saw something in, in that community that thought he could build something. And it turns out that, that he's done that in, in short, quick fashion. 
Um, really excited to see how we play uh, for him and for Drake. So um, that being, you know, my nephew. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. You know, at that level, you know, long-term drawn-out success, it's been done. Wichita State's done it. You know, a lot of schools at that level have really built their program into something, you know, bigger. And it just seems like there's been such a great template at that university for so long. And it's such a strong academic institution. You got everything going for you there. And now that they finally seem to have the right coach, we're – we're excited. It was odd watching the NCAA tournament this year. And, you know, I'm usually only watching and rooting for the Hawkeyes. And it's like Drake's and it's like, you know, all the Hawkeye fans are rooting for Drake too. It's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you're calculating that the Hawks keep winning and the, and the Bulldogs keep winning. They might be able to play each other. How freaking cool would that have been? I mean, that would have been awesome. Yeah, that'd be unbelievable. They need to bring that back a little bit where, where Drake plays some of the, you know, other state schools. But uh, yeah, that, that, that'd be fun. No, a hundred percent. That'd be great. And think of how rocking the nap center would be if like Hawk, the Hawks came to town. That would yeah. be awesome. That'd be a lot of fun. I, would I imagine pay. that Drake would have to go to Iowa, but you never know. Well, you know, they used to have that, 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 uh, at, um, big four classic. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. They do it at like, they used to do it at like that's auditorium or the Iowa event center. They have like you and I, Drake, Iowa and Iowa state. Yeah. And they would they would all play. And I always thought that was cool. You know, maybe they'll maybe they'll do that again. How competitive were you two as kids? Were you would you guys just go at each other, or were you guys pretty supportive uh, of one another? Both. We were very supportive of one another, but very competitive. Um, there was not one of us that liked to lose a, uh, a you know a game in the yard. Uh, of mm-hmm. hoops. We always were playing basketball, and I tell you what, I I push them through the the lawn before I let him score a layup to end it. So uh, we were all very competitive, but, um, you know, um, also very supportive as well. We, we played on every team together. Um, so um, we're always pulling for one another. You know, speaking of that, from your, your lengthy pro career and your career as a Hawkeye, who were one or two of the toughest guys that you went against in practice in a game that you were just like, man, this guy's a beast. He's a machine. I've never, this guy's another level. Anybody that comes to mind when you think of that? Um, you know, there's a lot of great players uh, that I played against. So I'd be, I'd be slighting them, but you know, the, the Orlando pace of the world, the flows up. I mean, there's so many great ones, so many great big 10 uh, tackles. Uh, Aaron Gibson was on our team. He, you know, he didn't have quite the, the the pro career because of injury, but he he was a special talent. Um, and uh, you know, I got to practice against Ross Verba all the time. I, I'm oh, yeah. that helped um, that helped you know my development. So um, yeah, just so many great players um, through the years. All right, we're gonna finish with one last question. We got to really dig deep here and think hard for this last one on the practice field or in the weight room locker room, anything like that. We always like to ask this question, whether it be with the Lions or the Hawkeyes, what's a memory from practice or working out in, in the weight room or conditioning or anything like that? Do you kind of look back on sometimes like on a regular Tuesday during the week and kind of puts a smile to your face and makes you laugh a little bit like, wow, that was that was wild. That was that was pretty crazy. I miss those days. Well, I don't know if this is wild or crazy, but it does make me laugh. It does make me chuckle. Um Coach Austin was our D-line coach uh, at the University of Iowa. And I don't know, for some reason, um, I 
wasn't I was maybe I was having a bad day. I we got we got into a little skirmish on the field, and apparently I instigated it. So he got in my grill and made me run around the practice field holding hands with another offensive lineman. <laughs> and, and, yeah, that's not that wild. But I look back on it and I'm like, how silly do we look? You know, these big football players running around. <laughs> practice field holding hands and I, I i gotta ask him who i think it was it was matt reichel but i i don't i got i i don't know who who i was holding hands with but <laughs> point proven that is an awesome story have you ever inflicted a similar type of discipline as a head coach i did i, I did the same thing did I you did, really if you two knuckleheads want to fight you can run around the field and hold hands so i i've done it um i've, I've done it so See, there's nothing like that that's, like, going to make two guys kind of laugh and realize, okay, like, you know, that wasn't a big deal. This is pretty funny. I mean, the only thing worse you could do is maybe have them skip and, you know, something like that on top of it. But that's, yeah, a, good, mean, that's a good way to kind of lower the the anger and just, like, bring two guys together and be like, all right, we're cool. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, you're still teammates, right? Absolutely. And you know what? If you're not getting into skirmishes every once in a great while – you know, maybe you're not going as hard as you should. Well, the dog days of training camp, I think, you know, that, that might have had something into it. I was tired of beating up on each other. And, uh, you know, there's just some days where you're out there, you know, you get second practice, you're out there a couple hours, like, okay, I'm just done done beating on everybody or getting beat on. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Totally understand. Coach Jared DeVries, thank you, sir, for taking time out of your Sounds like ridiculously busy schedule with everything you have going on. Give our best to the family, to your to your son playing out at Southern Illinois, and you know, wish him the best of luck with a, a great upcoming season. And we wish you nothing but the best and and best luck going forward. Thanks, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Go Hawks! All right, thanks a lot, Jared. Go Hawks!